We are on a journey through the book of 1 Corinthians, and today we come to chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. So if you have a Bible or an app, you want to open it there. Uh, I'm going to be reading from the New International Version today because I think it does a better job of translation from this passage. If you are just joining us, this book is a letter uh, written by the Apostle Paul to a group of believers in Jesus, uh, a church in a town called Corinth, and they have a big problem. And their problem is that they've fallen into a trap, a trap which I'm describing as the trap of a do-it-yourself spirituality. Um, they, they have, what I mean by that is they've begun relying on themselves and on their own wisdom instead of relying on Jesus and his wisdom. To say it another way, they're coming up with their own answers to the big questions of life. And they're trusting in those answers rather than trusting the answers that Jesus gave us, the answers of Scripture that he affirmed for us. (laughs) And we're currently in a section that really emphasizes how different Jesus' answers often are from the answers that we, we hear from the world around us, um, especially when we're talking about moral boundaries, boundaries between what's good and what isn't, and especially when it comes to what's good in our relationships. That's been kind of a focal point of the passage of the section we're in. So how how we handle our sexuality, how we understand it, how we uh, respond to that, and also uh, how we deal with conflicts. We've been seeing that. Um, and Jesus' answers to some of those big questions are, can be very, very different from what our culture would say. So today we're going to focus on verses 9 through 11, but I'm going to start at verse 8, uh, just so, well, I'll explain it in a minute. Okay, so 1 Corinthians 6, uh, beginning in verse 8. Paul writes and says, instead, so you can see we're in the middle of something here. Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers and sisters, your fellow believers in Jesus, in other words. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Now I started with verse 8 so you can see the tight connection between what has come before and what is now coming. Uh, Some translations leave out the word or at the beginning of verse 9 
that makes it sound like Paul is starting a whole new topic, but he, he really isn't. Then also note the word wrongdoers in verse 9. Uh, some translations use the word unrighteous, which is an acceptable option for this word, but that keeps us from seeing the connection with the word do wrong in verse 8. It's two forms of the same word. So what Paul is saying is, you Corinthians, you believers in Jesus in Corinth, you are doing wrong. And don't you know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he goes on and lists various ways of doing wrong, all of which seem to be things that the people in Corinth, the believers in Jesus in Corinth, were doing. And that one fact, that one fact ought to keep us from making an error in our thinking, which is that people who believe in Jesus are nothing like people who do these things. That's just not true. These are all things that believers in Jesus can and do struggle with. And if you don't see yourself struggling with any things in this list, we could probably find another list elsewhere in the Bible <laughs> that would have something that you struggle with. I say that so that we realize there's no room for arrogance here. There's no room for looking down on others who might struggle with something that we don't, but we have our own. And just like in previous passages, we can see, we can see here that where Scripture puts the boundaries, boundaries that Jesus affirmed, we can see that where Jesus puts the boundaries is often very different from where our culture puts the boundaries, especially when it comes to sexuality. So we all have a choice to make, which is, whom are we going to trust? Whom are we going to trust to put the boundaries in the best possible place? So we need to think carefully and we need to think with great humility. So let me start with a few observations here from what this passage is telling us. First thing is to notice that what's at stake is huge. There are huge things at stake here. This is not trivial stuff he's talking about. To the Apostle Paul and to the other writers of Scripture, to Jesus being included in God's kingdom matters more than anything else. And if, if we are thinking clearly, we'll feel the same way. It is, it is really one of the strangest things about contemporary life, particularly in the West, that we so easily get preoccupied with things that really don't matter that much in the long run. And at the same time, we ignore things that really do matter. Many of the things that are headline news today, 
we probably won't even remember in a few weeks, let alone a few years. And yet people will think about them, people will talk about them, people will fret about them. But how many people will think about, how many people will talk about, let alone do anything about their relationship with the God who made them? Are you in his kingdom or not? To Jesus, how you answer that question ultimately matters more than anything else. And I'm not talking just about settling the question of what happens to you when you die someday. Are you headed to an eternity of joy or are you headed to an eternity of misery? Now, that is incredibly important. And again, that's one of those things that it's really easy in our world to just blow that off. Don't think about it. Don't talk about it. But it's not just that. Whether or not you're a part of God's kingdom, that's also about having true life, understanding what it's about, what understanding understanding your true purpose, understanding where real joy and real peace, lasting peace come from. And that's why Paul is talking about these things, some of which make us very uncomfortable. I think, whoa, why is he talking about that? I point this out because it's really common today. It's really common to think that the only reason anyone would ever bring up the subject or talk about the moral boundaries of Scripture, especially when it comes to sexual issues, the only reason anybody would ever talk about this, what the Bible says about these things, is that they're motivated by anger or by disgust or even by hatred for people who don't accept the scriptural boundaries. That's not what motivated Jesus to talk about these things. And it's not what's motivating Paul to talk about these things. He wants people to be in God's kingdom. He wants them to be part of God's family. He wants them to have eternal life. That's why he's talking about these things. And that is a loving motive. And that's the same thing that must motivate all of us in this room who are followers of Jesus. What's at stake is huge. Second observation. Behavior outside of God's boundaries does not fit with faith in Christ. Behaviors outside of God's boundaries doesn't fit with faith in Christ. So God has established moral boundaries. The scriptures teach that and Jesus affirms that. We've, we saw that previously, talked quite a bit about that. God has established moral boundaries defining what is good and what isn't for us. And as we've talked previously too, they're like guardrails to keep us on the road of God's good intentions his good design for us to protect us from hurting ourselves, from hurting others. And Paul lists 
several behaviors here that are out of bounds for followers of Jesus. Now, this is not a complete list by any means. This list probably represents things that the Corinthian believers themselves were doing. And they're things that don't fit with believing in Jesus because they violate the scriptural guardrails that Jesus affirmed. And so Paul is saying, look, you guys, you can't be okay with these things. You can't be okay with these things in your life. You can't make peace with them in your life. You have to avoid them. And the way he talks about these things makes it clear that he is talking about ongoing patterns, ongoing Patterns of behavior. Note, for example, he says, the sexually immoral will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, why does he say it like that? Why didn't he just say, well, sexual immorality is bad? Why does he say it this way? Well, because he's talking about somebody who repeatedly engages in immoral sexual behavior so that this crossing of the boundary that God established has become characteristic of their life that's why he uses it this way so you know it's just like well what do you call someone who habitually lies i said that to someone the other day and they said a politician and i said no (laughs) someone who habitually lies we call them a liar someone who habitually engages in theft we call a thief okay so he's, he's warning us not to let any of this behavior outside of the guardrails that God established, not to let those things characterize our lives. These are things we have to repent of or turn from, resist if we, if we believe in Jesus, if we follow him. And also... You can tell these behaviors are not in any particular order. Some are sexual. Some involve taking things that aren't yours, money or property. One refers to misusing alcohol. One has to do with lying about somebody, slandering them. And they're just all in this list without being ranked from bad to worse. Which means for us that we cannot take some of these things seriously and not the others. They're all serious. Any behavior contrary to the way Jesus wants us to live is serious. So I plead with you, do not buy the lie that says, if you're a believer in Jesus, you don't really have to take sin seriously because Jesus is going to forgive you. That's actually a pretty common thing people think. Please hear me. Jesus forgives those who trust him. Jesus forgives those who belong to him by faith. And someone who trusts him, someone who belongs to him by faith, will take sin seriously. They fight it. They don't minimize it. So how do you fight it? Observation number three. 
doing things that aren't good comes from believing things that are not true. That comes from other things, too. You know, typically starts with a desire. You know, all the things that Paul lists here are things that people desire to do. You ever noticed nobody ever sins out of duty? <laughs> well, I just, I don't want to do this, but I guess I have to. Nobody does that. So it starts with a desire, but at some point, it's what you believe that determines what you end up doing. Doing things that aren't good comes from believing things that aren't true. Paul raises a question here. He says, do you not know? Do you not know? Why does he ask that? Because when he considers how the Corinthians are just crossing these moral boundaries, he knows something is wrong with their thinking. They either don't know something that they should know, or they're forgetting something that they should remember, or they're, they've been fooled into thinking things that just aren't true. That's why he says, do not be deceived. The trouble with being deceived is, you don't know you are. You think you got it. That's, that's the danger of deception. The Corinthians were not living the way Jesus wanted them to live because they had become confused about many things. But there's a root confusion here. There's a primary confusion, and Paul deals with it head on. What is it? It's their confusion about who they are. It's their confusion about who they are, their identity. How do we know that? Because that's how Paul deals with them, that he reminds them of who they are. You see this in verse 11. After listing these different people whose lives are characterized by behavior outside of God's boundaries, Paul says, and that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's reminding them of their new identity. The identity that they received when they became connected to Jesus by faith, a new identity, why is he reminding them of that? Because he knows that if they can remember who they are, who Jesus says they are, if they will be convinced of their true identity and be confident of that, that's going to motivate them. That's going to help them to live consistent with that identity. But if, if they remain confused about who they are, believing things that are not true, then they're going to keep doing things that aren't good. Which means that if, if this morning you're a believer in Jesus... And you may not be, and I'm glad you're here. I really am. You can become a believer in Jesus this very day. That would be awesome. But if you are a believer in Jesus, what this is telling us is that knowing, knowing your real identity is a vital weapon in the fight against sin. Being confident of who you really are in Christ. And then when the enemy comes and he throws some lies at you, 
Ah, you're this, you're this, you're this, you're this, whatever. Wherever they come from, you can say no. No, that's not who I am. That's not who I am. That's not who Jesus says I am. And that confidence, that confidence will help you live the way Jesus wants you to live. So that's what I want to spend the rest of my time with. How to be confident, if you're a believer in Jesus, how to be confident of your true identity. Two things you have to know. First, you have to know what identity is. Got to know what identity is. Identity is not the same as desire or behavior. Now, I point that out because in our world, those three things get confused. They get tangled up all the time, especially when we're talking about sexual issues. Now, sexual desire, sexual behavior, sexual identity are interrelated, but they're distinct. They're not identical. Okay, so desire, that's what you want. Behavior, that's what you do. Identity, that's who you are. If we do not clarify our terms, things get confused in a hurry, and it's very difficult to have a helpful conversation. Let me give you an example. Let's take the term heterosexual. Okay, that's not in the Bible, but that's a word we use in our world. Okay, one person might understand that word to be referring to a desire, a romantic or sexual attraction to a person of the opposite sex. Someone else might use it to describe a behavior, sexual behavior with someone of the opposite sex. And still another person might use it to, or understand it as an identity, saying, well, he is a heterosexual, or she is straight to use a synonym. And, and as soon as you say that someone is something, you're using the language of identity. Now, if people don't realize they're using the same word in different ways, it gets confusing. It gets very confusing. And this is a big reason why conversations about sexual issues can be so difficult and so emotional. I mean, it's already emotional. And you throw confusion over terminology in the mix, and it just gets all that more emotional and difficult. Because you think you're talking about one thing. You think, for example, you're talking about a behavior, what somebody does. But they're talking about an identity, what someone is. And so, for example, to say as this passage does, that same-sex sexual relationships are outside of God's boundary. And, and you think you're talking about a behavior, and they think we're talking about an identity. They don't hear it as rejecting a behavior. They hear it as rejecting a person. That's what they're hearing. So we've got to be very careful here to untangle the threads and clarify the differences. Desire, what you want. Behavior, what you do. 
identity who you are. You've got to know what identity is. And then the other thing to know is you've got to know where identity comes from or where you're going to locate your identity. Where does your identity come from? And here we get very different answers from our culture and from Jesus. Very different answers. Let's start with our culture. Prominent, influential voices in media, in entertainment, in education, and in politics are all fairly unified in this perspective, telling us that your identity is based on your background, your people, who you come from, and even more so, your desires. Your sexual desires in particular are considered the deepest and truest expression of who you really are. Sexual behavior, then, is considered good if it's consistent with your identity, with your desires, because your desires determine your identity, and your identity then should determine your behavior. So it would be a common narrative here. You know, somebody gets married to someone of the opposite sex, and then later on decides, well, you know what? My deepest desires are for a relationship with someone of the same sex, so I've done this contrary to my true identity, who I really am, and therefore that behavior is not good. So your, your behavior is considered good if it's consistent with your true identity, if it's in line with your deepest desires. Now, there are a few exceptions to this. Our culture still holds out that there are certain sexual desires that even if they're deep and even if they're strong, they're not an acceptable you know, um, basis of behavior. But by and large, that's pretty much what we're told. Okay, what about Jesus? According to Jesus, according to the rest of Scripture, which Jesus affirms, your background and your desires, sexual or otherwise, are not a reliable guide to who you are, to your identity. Well, why not? Because when it comes to desires, we're all broken because of sin. We all are. We're all a mixture of desires. Good or bad. Again, according to God's standards, what makes a good desire, what makes a bad desire, is whether that desire can be fulfilled in a way that's within God's guardrails that He established. And so we're all a mixture. And none of our desires represents our deepest and truest self. None of them. I'm going to quote Pastor Sam Alberry here. If you haven't read his stuff, I encourage you to. His whole adult life, he says, he has experienced feelings of same-sex attraction. And he says this, quote, Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. The key word is anyone. 
to follow Jesus, all of us will have to say a deep and profound no to some of our deepest intuitions and longings. Jesus doesn't put self in front of identity. He puts it in front of denial. Jesus never tells us to look within. He never tells us to look inside and and check out our desires in order to figure out who we are. Jesus never tells us to listen to the voices around us to tell us who we are. He says instead, come to me. Listen to me. I will tell you who you are. I will tell you who I made you to be. I will tell you who I died to free you to be. You see right here in verse 11, that's what some of you were, but you were washed. That is, you were cleansed from your past. You're cleansed from your guilt. You were, you were sanctified. That is, God set you apart to be a member of his people, his family. You were justified. That is, you were made right with God in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. You'll notice he does not say you washed yourself. You set yourself apart. You justified yourself. No, you didn't do it. You didn't do it. God did it. And God did it in the name that is in the person of His Son, the Lord Jesus, and by the power of His Spirit. If you belong to Jesus, your identity is a work of God. You are defined by Him, not by your past. Doesn't matter what it was. You're not defined by your heritage. You're not defined by your tribe or your nation or your race. And you're not defined by your desires. You, it doesn't matter what they are. Jesus said, deny yourself and follow me. That means saying no to self whenever self wants to do something that Jesus doesn't want us to do. And listen, we all have to do this. This is not something for just some people. This is for everybody. We all have desires we have to say no to. We all do. Any desire that cannot be fulfilled within God's design, no matter how much we might want it, because our desires don't define us. Jesus does. It can be so difficult. To say no to self. It can be so hard. And Jesus knows it. Because he's the one who had to say no to his desire to avoid the cross to save us. It can be so hard. But he promises to make saying no to self Worth it. Worth it. 
So right after he says, take up your cross and follow me, Matthew 16, 25, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. Let me quote Sam again. This is so good. Jesus says, Jesus says there is a sense of losing our life in following him. There will be times when it feels like obedience to him is taking life from us. And yet the glorious paradox is that by going through this loss, we are actually gaining life. We are gaining life. By denying self and following Jesus, we don't become less who we are. We become most truly ourselves. It can be so difficult to say no. Some desires are so strong, so persistent, so deep, it feels like death saying no to them. Do not ever estimate how hard it is. Do not underestimate how hard it is for people to say no sometimes. But it's something we have to do. We all do. That's the road. That's the road to life that Jesus calls us to follow. He brings us into his family. He gives us a new identity and he says, come follow me and I'll take you. I'll take you to the life that I meant you to have. Do you belong to Jesus? That is the most important question I could possibly ask you. Do you belong to Jesus? And if you do, do you know who you are in him? Who are you listening to to tell you who you are? Because every other voice, even if it's your own, will lead you astray. Do you see yourself the way he sees you? Do you know what he says about you? Because the more convinced you are of who Jesus says you are, the more, the more inclined you're going to be, the more motivated you're going to be, the more you're going to want to live the life that he wants you to live. Let's pray. I'm just going to be quiet for a minute because I've been doing a lot of talking. And I want you to give you just a moment. A moment to think, a moment to pray. And if, you're, if you've never prayed before, this may be the perfect time to start. And just say, Lord, help me understand. Help me believe. Help me trust you. I don't know what your battle is. I don't know what desires you struggle with, but I can tell you we all struggle with some. And if we're not struggling with any, it probably means we're not listening to Jesus. And so much want to be a people who help each other, who help each other understand what it means to follow Jesus and then do it. So, I'll just give you a moment to think and to pray, and then I'll pray in just a minute.
Father, thank you. Um, thank you for telling us who we are. Help us listen to you. If there's anyone here today who has yet to say yes to Jesus, to receive him, to begin living life as part of your family, I pray that today would be the day for them. And I pray you'd help all of us. Help us all just live out the love and the truth, the compassion, the mercy, the truthfulness, the integrity of Jesus. God, we need your help. We need your spirit. And we pray you would help us now in Jesus' name. Amen.